5 and 6. Well, congregation, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I want to look with you at Psalm 27, another one of the great Psalms of David. And I want to do so because it's a psalm which teaches us how to deal with something that confronts all of us at different times in our lives, fear. And all of us know what it is like to be afraid. We all know what it is like to experience fear. In fact, we could say fear is something that comes very naturally to us. It's something that we've experienced from the very moment we entered this world, something that we all deal with in different forms as we continue to go through life. For think about it, what is the very first sound that a baby ever makes when it comes into this world? It is a cry of fear. For when a baby is born, they enter into a strange environment. They cry out because they're thinking, what's happening to me? Who are these strange people? Why is it cold? Where am I? And we come into this world then experiencing fear. And as we grow up, we're constantly dealing with new fears that confront us. The fear of people, for example, what they might do to us, what they're thinking about us, what perhaps they are saying about us. We can have fears and insecurities about what might happen to our loved ones, our children, for example. We can entertain fears about the future, about our health, about our jobs, our finances, the thought of growing old. Or as you know, children can have fears about things like thunderstorms, strange noises, monsters under the bed. And you see, we can have all sorts of fears then, for fear wears many different faces. And these fears, they can impact us in multiple ways, oftentimes not for good. You see, our fears can fill us with dread. They can cause us to have sleepless nights. Fears can consume our thoughts. They can overwhelm us, paralyze us, even at times. And our fears then, they can take a toll on us physically and mentally and emotionally. It can even drive people to despair, tragically sometimes to suicide. And you see, fear is something that's very real then. It's a very powerful phenomenon we all have to face and deal with. And so I want to think this afternoon then about this subject of dealing with fear. What it is that David shows us here about how we can do so in two ways. Firstly, by confidence in God. And then secondly, by calling upon God. It's these two things I want to reflect on just now. And so let us think firstly about how we can confront our fears by placing our confidence in God. You see, that is how we see David dealing with his own fears here in the first six verses of this psalm. And of course, David knew what it was like to be confronted with the reality of fear. David was no ivory tower theologian, wasn't detached from the realities of everyday life, not a bit of it. David was a man of flesh and blood just like every one of us here. And David had every reason to be afraid, humanly speaking, 
when we consider what he says he was, was going on in his life at the time this psalm was written. For look what he says in verses 2 and 3. He speaks about the wicked and his enemies and his foes coming against him to eat up his flesh. Speaks of an army that was encamped against him. And then in verse 12 he talks about adversaries, false witnesses rising up against him, such as were breathing out violence against him. And yet in spite of these things, he could also say in verse 3, his heart would not fear, though war would rise against him, for he would be confident in his God. He would be confident, as he says in verse 1, the Lord was his light and his salvation. He was the strength of his life. And therefore he could ask himself, whom shall I fear or of whom shall I be afraid? And of course, David is here speaking as a believer. He's speaking as a child of God. And you see, that is what gave him such confidence then in the face of his enemies. Dangerous situation. He was obviously in here. And friends, why could he have such confidence in God as a believer? Well, it's because of what he knew God was to him, what God is to every true believer. That God was his light and his salvation. He was the strength of his life. As he says in verse 1. And as he goes on to say in verse 5. He knew then that in the time of trouble. He could rely on God. To hide him in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle. And that his God would set him high. Upon a rock. And you see when fear came knocking at the door. Of David's heart then. He was able to overcome that fear. And keep it from getting the upper hand in his life. Not by ignoring it. Not by pretending it didn't exist. But by placing his absolute trust and confidence in God. In his God. For notice the threefold use of the word my in verse 1. And you see God was very real to David then. God wasn't just an abstract fact of theology for David. He was a living, personal, daily reality to him. More real than all of the other things that he was up against here. And you see, that's why he could be so confident and assured. And friends, it's good for us to pause at this point then and to ask ourselves the question, is God real to us? Is he the one that we go to? Is he the one that you and I are placing our confidence in when we're faced with our own fears? And can we say with assurance, God is our light. He is our salvation. He's the strength of our life. Well, he clearly was for David. He was, as he says, first of all, his light. He was the one that David was confident would shed light on his path, who could dispel his darkness and his fear, and who he trusted would guide him and lead him through the dangers he faced then. You see, even though the future was unknown to him, was shrouded in darkness 
in that sense. Nevertheless, he knew it was all clear to the Lord. And thus he could rest in him as his light, to go before him, to break up his way, to direct and order his steps in due course. But he could also rest in him as his salvation, the one that he knew had the ability to help him and deliver him from harm and those who would seek to destroy him. You see, he's the God, as David says in the very next psalm, Psalm 28 and verse 8, who is the strength of his people, the saving refuge of his anointed. He's the God whose hand, as Isaiah reminds us, is not shortened, that it cannot save. And thus David was confident he could depend upon God to save and rescue him from the many dangers and opposition he was facing here from the wicked. You see, his God was also the strength or stronghold of his life, a place of absolute protection and security from danger, from strife, which he knew he could run to and be completely safe. And you see, David knew then that his God was like a mighty fortress around him. He was a force of strength within him to uphold him, to strengthen him inwardly against his enemies and all of his fears. You see, for David, God was bigger than any problem or danger or enemy that would ever confront or threaten him in this life. And thus he could calm his fears then in the face of seemingly impossible odds by reminding himself of who his God was by seeking refuge in his great God in his time of trouble and adversity. You see, David knew like Paul, if God was for him and if he was the one who was protecting him and taking care of him, then who could possibly be against him? And you see, the foundation of David's confidence in life then, it wasn't himself. It was God alone. You see, he recognized God alone transcends. God alone is over and above all of the varied circumstances of life. He alone is in full control of all of the things that can touch our lives at any given moment. And thus he realized then that the only truly safe and wise conduct for him was to keep his mind stayed upon his God, to maintain his trust in him at all times, as Isaiah reminds us. You see, that is the way to experience perfect and abiding peace in the midst of the storms and troubles of life. It's the way to move from living in fear to living by faith. And friends, how we all need to have our minds and hearts continually reoriented in life then, so that our gaze would be fixed upon our great God, that he would become the exclusive object of our trust and confidence in life. You see, that's the only way to rise above our fears, to remain buoyant and hopeful when we are assailed by things in life that are outside of our current control, that can so easily cause us to be afraid. And that's why David goes on to say in verse 4, there was only one thing he desired of the Lord, 
that he would seek after her, that he might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. You see, David believed the answer to all of his fears. It was an ongoing and ever deeper experience of God himself, a greater and greater view of God in his transcendent beauty and glory as the God who is God over all. And you see, what David wanted then wasn't simply to escape from his troubles, but that these things would shut him in to God. They would prove an opportunity for God to reveal himself, his presence, his power to him in new and richer ways. You see, David understood that a fresh vision of God, a renewed sense of his presence and power and nearness, it would cause his fears to melt away like wax. You see, it would put them in their proper place, would keep them from him from sinking under them. And so he was determined to seek after this one thing then, to be in the presence of God, to gaze on his surpassing beauty all the days of his life. You see, that's really what David is desiring and speaking about in verse 4. Not to be in a particular building or space so much, but to be in the presence of his God. Remember the house of the Lord or his temple was for David and the Old Testament Jews. It was the outward visible symbol of the place where God met with them. It was a place where his presence was revealed and known and experienced. And you see, that's what David was seeking after and desiring above all else. That he might behold the glory, the greatness, the majesty, the dominion of his God. That he would experience deep fellowship and closeness and intimacy with him. Because you see, he knew from experience that is the best antidote to our fears, a preoccupation with God himself and to delight in him as we see him by faith, as he is in himself, all that he is, all that he has promised to be to his people also. And so rather than dwelling on his problems and his troubles then, David was determined to look beyond them all to his God. And he would run to him to hide him in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. You see, that's what David goes on to say God will do for all those whose hearts are toward him, who do seek him as the great object of their desire. He will show himself strong on their behalf. He'll bring them into his presence. He'll make his wonderful love known to them. You see, the king's pavilion was the tent that was erected in the middle of his army's encampment. That tent was surrounded by an army of brave soldiers. And with all of the host of the army encamped around about it, it was the safest place an individual could possibly be. You see, those who were fortunate enough to be allowed to enter the king's pavilion. They were protected by his best soldiers and they could be at peace knowing they were the special objects of their king's loving care and protection. 
And you see, what David is really saying here then is that that is the privileged position of all believers who abide in God's love, who seek intimacy with him. You see, as the battles of life rage around them, they can be assured they are safely tucked away in God's pavilion. Their lives are hidden in the secret place of his tent or tabernacle, a place of complete security and safety, a place that is beyond the reach of every enemy who would seek to do them harm. You see, their life, as Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 3, it's hid with Christ in God. And child of God here, could there be a safer place for you and I to be found in all the universe? Absolutely not. And what a tremendous blessing and privilege it is to have God as our God then. You see, those who have been taken by God into his pavilion, they are now protected by him. And he'll continue to keep them in his loving care all of their days then. No enemy will ever be able to pluck them out of his hands or to take from them the security that they enjoy in him. And how that should give us an abiding sense of security in life then. If we are a a child of God, it should enable us to weather the storms and challenges of life with confidence and to keep our heads lifted up high as David goes on to say, knowing that underneath us, all around us are the everlasting arms of our great God and that he is our impenetrable, immovable rock in life on which our feet have been firmly placed. And thus we have good grounds to to look above and beyond and past all of our enemies and fears, and to rest assured God will never fail us, no matter what may come our way in life. And friends, what cause we have then, if we are one of God's people, to now go on to offer the sacrifices of praise and worship with joy, as David did in verse 6. For friends, is he not altogether worthy of these things in light of who he is in himself and of all that he has promised to be to us and will be to us in Christ? Well, David was able to confront his fears. He was able to rise above them then by firstly putting his confidence in God, all that he has revealed to us as being true of himself. But then secondly, he also dealt with his fears by going on to call upon God. That's really the focus of the latter part of this psalm from verse 7 to the end. That's what we want to turn to reflect on just now. You see, David turns here in this part of this psalm from talking about God to talking to God. Goes from expressing his confidence about God then to confiding in his God. You see, David knew that his knowledge of God and God's self-revelation is not meant to lead to an attitude of passivity on the part of the believers, meant to stir them up to an earnest seeking after God, to a heartfelt calling upon God in prayer. 
And that's exactly what we see here with David then. You see, he knew where to go with his fears and with his concerns in life. Because he knew he had a gracious God and Father in heaven, whose ear, as Isaiah reminds us, is not heavy that it cannot hear, nor is his hand shortened that it cannot save. And so we find him then calling out to God here to help him and hear him. And he says to God in verse 7, Then hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. And see, David clearly recognized then he was totally dependent upon his God to come to his aid, to deliver him from those who were seeking to do him harm. You see, David wasn't self-sufficient in his thinking then. David wasn't imagining to himself he could handle all of the challenges and problems of life all on his own. Not a bit of it. David was a man who had learned his need of God, his need to look to him, to meet and supply all of his needs. And so he cried out to him from his heart then. And moreover, he did so conscious of the fact he didn't deserve God's help or blessing. For notice he bases his hope and assurance that God would answer him entirely on the basis of God's mercy alone. But you see, he also knew, as he himself says elsewhere in Psalm 86, God is rich in mercy to all those who do call upon him. You see, David was determined then to avail himself of the mercy and grace of his God. He was determined to seek his face in favor, as he goes on to say in verse 8. Indeed, he was inclined to do so because God himself is the one who invites us to do so. Which is why he says there in that verse, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. And friends, what a tremendous blessing and privilege is afforded to the believer then to come to God in prayer. You see, God bids us to do so. And friends, how often do we not live below the level of our privileges as believers then? Because we we don't make use of a throne of grace as we ought to. The very place where where God tells us to come to, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And as the hymn writer says so well then, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And of course, we might at times feel unable to come to God in prayer, even when he does invite us to do so. We might resolve in our hearts like David to seek God's face and favor in response to his call to do so. But then we can shrink back, perhaps, in practice from doing so, because we can think to ourselves we're so sinful, we're so unworthy that he would look upon us, that he would have anything whatever to to do with us. We can be hesitant then to draw near to God at times. And it seems that David had something of that same fear here even. 
But notice after his bold declaration that he would seek God's face, he then goes on to say in verse 9, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. And you see, do we not sense in what David says here, although he was coming to God, he was very conscious of the fact, like Jacob of old, he wasn't worthy of the least of all of God's mercies, or that God would hear his prayer. And it would seem then he was afraid in coming to God, God would be inclined to hide his face from him, be inclined to turn him away in anger, or that God would be inclined to simply leave him to himself and to forsake him. And of course, David knew that God would be perfectly just in doing so, for he had no claim upon God and himself. But then it's almost as if he has to take hold of himself Again, he has to once again remind himself he isn't coming to God based on his own merits or on the basis of anything in himself. And so he must stir himself up then to overcome whatever misgivings he must have. He must come to God, not because of who he is, but because of who God is. And because he calls him to do so as the God of his salvation. The one who has heard him in the past, who has been his help and his salvation. And so he comes to God then in spite of himself and all that he obviously knew about himself. And he pleads with God to hear him and answer him. And then he goes on to say something very beautiful in verse 10. Or speaking hypothetically, he says, even if his own father and mother should forsake him. He knew that his God would still take care of him. And see, David knew then that sadly it is possible for a father or a mother to forsake their own children in in this life, or even of the most basic of earthly relationships, to break down and fail. And yet he reminds us here that God will never abandon or forsake His children, never. You see, he knew that God himself has said he will never leave or forsake his own. You see, that's what fortified the heart of, of David then. It was that glorious thought that encouraged him to press on in prayer, to cry out to God with his voice, even though he may have been tempted to withdraw from doing so. And child of God here, you too are to follow the example of of David then. You're to take refuge in God in prayer at all times, in spite of your own misgivings at times perhaps. All you, you do know about yourself and your own heart, your own unworthiness. You see, you're to remember that God loves you with a steadfast love. A love that is greater than any other love. And thus he will never turn away his ear from you. When you do call out to him in humility and in faith. For remember he hears the cries of those who know their need of him. 
unless he will regard the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their prayer, as we're reminded so wonderfully in Psalm 102 and verse 17. Well, David called upon God in prayer then to hear him, to answer him in his time of need. But he also went on in verses 11 and 12 to pray to God to teach him his way, to lead him in a smooth or safe path because of his enemies, and to plead with God that he wouldn't deliver him over to the will of his adversaries. You see, his conscious false witnesses had risen up against him, such as were breathing out violence toward him. And again, we see here that whatever the need was that David felt he had, he knew where to go with these things. He knew then that God was also the one he needed to call upon for guidance, for direction, for protection in life, especially in the face of those who were obviously set against him and opposed to him, who wanted to ensnare him and destroy him. And of course, like David, we all need God to come alongside of us, to direct our steps in life, do we not? You see, we too can face opposition in life from those who perhaps despise us, who who want to lead us astray and derail our faith with all of their ungodly philosophies and ideas about life. And of course, we have the adversary, the devil, who's hell-bent on seeking our destruction, who wants nothing more than that we, we would fall into paths of sin, that we would be led astray from God. You see, we need to call upon God then continually to preserve us and keep us from evil and the evil one, that he would teach us his way, that he would lead us in it because of our enemies. For friends, if the Lord was to leave any one of us to ourselves and to our own thinking, to the snares and wiles of the devil, pressures in in this world to conform to it and its ways, then who knows where we might end up, especially in this day and age in which we live, when it seems we are being pressed in on every side with godlessness with rampant sin, with debauchery of every kind. And of course we might be tempted and inclined in the face of these things to to lose heart, to be afraid when we look to the future and all that's going on in our world. Just like it appears David himself was here. For notice he goes on to say in verse 13, I would have lost heart or I would have fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And you see, the things that David was experiencing and facing then, they were enough to cause him to to be afraid, to lose heart even, if it wasn't for the fact that he knew his good and gracious God was still in control of all things. And therefore, he could go on believing that he would yet see the goodness of his God at work in his own situation and circumstances then. You see, while David didn't know exactly what the future might hold, he could be at peace 
because he knew the one who holds the future. You see, it was that knowledge, that realization that instilled hope in the heart of David then was what enabled him to remain optimistic and confident. And friends, if we're a child of God, it's that same hope and realization that will sustain us, that will keep us buoyant in times when our flesh and our hearts are perhaps ready to fail us. You see, we can still be confident. God is the strength of our hearts. He is our portion forever. And therefore, as David says in conclusion, we can afford to go on patiently waiting on the Lord. We can be of good courage that he will strengthen our hearts. Because you see, he has promised to be with us. Promised to lead and guide us and keep us in all our ways. When we acknowledge him in them, when we do learn to commit them to him by faith. And friends, let us be of good courage then in the face of all of our own fears, amidst all of the difficulties and challenges that we meet with in life. Let us learn to wait patiently upon the Lord and his will to put our unreserved trust and confidence in him at all times and to cast every care, every burden that we have upon him in prayer. You see, as David reminds us here, that is the best way to deal with our fears and to find relief from them. Amen.